0: Welcome back. This is Stacy. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Stacey Nation. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, a mother, a daughter, a wife, a human, all sorts of hats that I wear. And I am so, so excited to have one of my dear friends uh, on this video series today, Mr. Joe Brummer. Hi, Joe. Welcome. Glad you're Hi. here. I'm so, happy to be here. I have to tell a little bit about how I know Joe. So I stopped
1: Joe.
0: Um, I'm just going to be totally upfront about that. So I had an opportunity to go to the Trauma-Informed Educator Network Conference in Nashville in 2022, uh, made a proposal to be a speaker, got accepted as a speaker. But my real intention was I wanted to meet Joe Brummer. Uh, And it totally has worked out for the best for me, hopefully for you too. But I sat in Joe's breakout session. Joe is an expert on restorative justice and restorative practices. And I just knew I was going to fall in love with you anyway. I knew you were a person I needed to meet in my life. And now I'm very honored to call you a friend and I'm so happy that you're here. I'm gonna let you introduce yourself and tell all the all the great things about you, and then we're gonna get into a few
2: things. Wow! Not that we want to promote stalking. It's love stalking. It, it worked out this time. Editing.
1: Yeah, it wasn't. I, I, know, <laughs> I
0: know. I know. I know. Fair enough. I'm sorry, but I had to be honest.
2: Fangirl. It was. It's all right. Uh, so I'm Joe Brummer. I'm a consultant uh, working in the field of trauma-informed restorative practices, um, but I'm also a husband, uh, doggy daddy, uh, brother, child abuse survivor, hate crime survivor, trauma survivor, uh, uh, healing focused uh, person. Mm. Uh, I don't know. That's that's probably all I could magically say about myself today. Um, I-
0: I love that. And there's so many layers to you, but one of the things that always draws me to you, Joe, is really your your passion for trauma-informed work. Uh and it's not even the work. Like you are set on a mission. I don't know if you would call this your mission statement, but this is how I see you. You are set on this mission to just make the world the world a better place for children and humans.
2: And I mean, would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, it's funny. I was on the ATN podcast with Julia and Ginger Mm. and they asked me some question that like, I'm not even really sure how the conversation completely evolved, but we came to this idea that like really what I'm trying to do in the world is create a place where a kid like me would have done. Okay.
1: Mm.
2: Mm. And I, I listened to it back. And they, they turn that comment that I made into a meme Mm -hmm. and put it on Facebook. And I was like, that is kind of my mission. Like let's create a world where a kid like me going through a bunch of crazy stuff that kids shouldn't go through would be okay. Mm -hmm. And so that is slowly become my sort of mission statement that I want to make, I want to create a world where, where a kid like me growing up in chaos and violence would have been okay. Yeah. Um. And not need decades of therapy.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love that. And and so part of this series that I'm doing is really talking to some of my favorite humans on the planet, and I'm blessed to know quite a few amazing ones. Uh, and really talking about well, first of all, people aren't alone. Like there are, yeah. there are lots of people out there who've been through hard things. And you and I both, you know, I'm an ACE score of seven. I know you're a high ACE score. And not that ACEs are all encompassing, but it's a way to communicate. Like we've been through some shit. Yeah. Right. And now we're holding space for adults who are also holding space for kids who are going through shit. And so when you're saying, like, I'm here to create a space for the the little Joe that's out there to be okay and be all right in the world. What, what would that entail? What do adults need to know? What kind of, how do adults need to show up for kids like Joe?
2: Yeah. What a great question to you. Uh, I think I've wrote a whole book about
1: that. (laughs) I think,
2: I think think we need to start with this notion that kids are not a blank slate. Mm. Right? We seem to look at kids and say, we have to mold them, make them into something. They already are something.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You don't need to mold them. You don't need to like manipulate them. You don't need to twist them. You need to allow them. Mm. And, and I think, I guess that's the message I would want for people is like, that's already a little individual.
1: Mm.
2: You don't own them. You don't own them. You don't get to tell them what they're going to be in life. You don't get to tell them where they're going or like we literally adultify kids mm. right from the get go. We 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 strip them of their identity and say that they're a blank slate and we're going to mold them right away. You just strip their identity away from them. Yeah. And, and then on top of that, we, we take kids and then we we really legitimately think that they are strategic in being able to manipulate the world. Right. <laughs> and you and I both know because we're Bruce Perry fans and we've seen the upside down triangle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that that's just not possible with an undeveloped frontal cortex, right? This If your neocortex isn't there, your ability to think in these really extravagant ways that would let you manipulate the adults around, you, that's just simply not possible. Yeah. Yet we treat children in this way that tries to control how they manipulate the world. Yeah. But the assumption of children is dark and and sinister and, and like children are these little evil things that we have to control. And like I just I hate that view. And so, I guess the first thing I think the first step of this whole process is realize and recognize that that little human is a little human
1: mm.
2: with likes and dislikes and a personality, and and uh, they are not your they are not your clay.
1: Mm. You don't
2: get to mold them. They're not your art project. Mm. <laughs> they are a child, and they have their own likes and their own personality and their own sense of humor and their own world to find. Yeah. And so that will be my first, the first step is you, you got to recognize that that thing in front of you is a human. I love that. not yours to manipulate.
0: I love that. I, as I, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about my daughter, of course. And we always say she spreads her sparkle everywhere. Not everybody loves her sparkle. And yeah. she even came home one day. and was like, I spread my sparkle at school. I don't think Mr. So and so really liked that. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> <"I don't know." laughs> And then Mr. So-and-so reached out and was like, listen, we can't be having that. I was like, actually, that's just part of her personality. And like you telling her, you know, there's a difference between right and wrong and how we show up in spaces and all that. But he really wanted her to turn the volume down. And I was like, that's just not who she is. She's just not going to do that. I am not going to get in the way of that. Like you two got to navigate that. And so I just love the idea that you know, and, and most attuned parents know that their children are born with temperament. They're born with personality. They're born with these things already. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, part of what you're talking about, I've really been sinking into this idea called the cortex effect.
2: Mm, tell me more.
0: I know. I'm coining. You're like
2: know geek out on brain science. I know. And I'm coining <laughs> this
0: term. And it's popping up in everything. Uh, it's popping up in all the work I do. And it's really like adults have a cortex, and that cortex super duper helpful, right? It helps us logic things, it helps us reason things, helps us understand things. So we use it all the time. But the cortex effect gets in the way when we're talking to children. And we add our perspective to them and we think they shouldn't be as angry as they are. They shouldn't be as sad as they are. They shouldn't feel the way they are. They shouldn't have right. the they're having because we can logic it through and we can reason it, but they don't have that, right? It also shows up when we think they should be molded a certain way. They should be acting. Anytime we use the word should, the cortex is in- involved, And, and so we have bigger perspective. We have different, like we have wisdom that they don't have. And so it sounds to me like you're really like, Hey, adults, let's see these kids as kids. Let's let them be kids. Let's let them experience and get curious and provide a safe space for them to do that.
2: Yeah. Let's let them be the little people that they are Mm, play, but, but stop thinking of them as the people they will become. Uh, stop thinking about their future because their present is real. Yeah. And their past will become their present. And while you're busy planning out there, you know, what will they become and how will I shape them? Blah, 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 blah. Realize that how you show up in the moment is going to be more impactful. And the more you can acknowledge and hold space, for a kid to be who they are Mm. which by the way might not be who you want them to be and you don't get to decide those truth bombs right and i I say that as you know like i say that as the out proud gay man right like you don't get to decide who this child becomes yeah they get to decide that and some of that just might be who they are like a young gay person or an artist or a musician or something that's not part of the norm and that might scare you. Yeah. Cause I want them to be happy. If you want to be happy, love them for who they are. Yeah. Not who you want them to be.
0: Ooh, you just on so much stuff. I mean, first an out proud gay man, right? Like it, it's a journey. Every person I know in the queer community has some sort of journey to becoming who they are. And a big piece of that journey, it sounds like, and I'm curious about this for you, is holding space for
1: other people's fucking uncomfortable feelings about who you are.
2: Yeah. I think think holding space is an interesting term for that because it's more like (laughs) tolerating people's bullshit. (laughs) It's a lot more accurate. But, uh, you know, my husband and I joke, Often about the silly things that are said to us, like in conversations and and just and we know people mean well and 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 I I, I do recognize that, but asking us silly questions like who cooks. <laughs>
1: Because
0: there's no woman in your relationship and women. That's it. Cause that, that,
2: you know, that's what they're really asking. Which one of you is the woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, it's it's just silliness. Like we actually just share those chores. Like it's not my night to cook cause I'm talking to you. And so it's not my night to cook. And so actually, I think it's Costco chicken night cause we're both too busy, but uh, it, you know, I, I, I'm amazed at like the questions people ask us, the, the, the space you have to hold, but also most people don't recognize
1: Mm.
2: maybe in today's world, they would with, you know, governor DeSantis and, 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 and and other things, but I I don't think on the day to day, most people realize the struggle gay people have, Mm. um, and especially gay men, Mm -hmm. like I will, I will absolutely call that, you know, gay men, I think have a bigger challenge than I I think other people in the, the initials. And, and that's because the ick factor, right? Like we get that we all, we're gay men. We're not oblivious to what is said about us. And um, I think living with that in the back of your head, that people constantly think you're a danger, but you're constantly perceived as a threat. While at the same time, you're supposed to be entertaining, be able to cut hair and decorate people's apartments. Like, yeah. That's a lot of expectations to live up to you. And, and most of them are just crap, yeah. just crap. And like, I couldn't decorate my, like my house is like the craziest place ever. There's hardly any decorations because I'm not good at decorating. It's just not one of my things. Oh, it's not part of my
0: your DNA as a gay man. It's not
2: part of my DNA as a gay man. I, and I can't do costumes. I can't dress up. I'm not fashionable. I'm literally wearing sweatpants and a t-shirt with no shoes. Um, and this is how I show up for work. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, if that was not one of my, you know, so all this. stereotypes, you live in this bubble of stereotypes that, you know, you just have to put up, a, but most of those stereotypes are evil, mm. that you're out to indoctrinate children and and, and hurt people. And the term, the term groomer has become popular, but I don't think people realize how hurtful and how detrimental that stuff is to developing brains.
1: Yeah. yeah. Hearing that
2: stuff at 50 is not the same as hearing that stuff at 12.
0: Yeah. What, before you're out, before you're yeah. fully developed and you're still exploring and trying to figure out like, how do I, how do I reconcile all of these things in this world that's sending these messages that I'm not an okay person because right
2: I'm flawed and I'm broken.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: What, what would you say to the adults who are, who are in this journey with kids who are exploring these things? Like what, what do they need to know, Joe?
2: Mm, I wish I knew God. Um, I, I think love relentlessly,
1: <laughs>
2: just love relentlessly because mm. gay kids just are surrounded in a world that rejects them. So you become so sensitive to rejection yeah. and and I don't know if that's true of me, like as a bullying survivor, and and, and but a lot of that all became part of it, it. all, you know, I was called the big F word as young as I could before I even know what that F word meant. I was being called that word, and you know, you sort of grow up in a world of rejection. And so, the best thing that people could do for gay and queer people is is minimize the levels of rejection, the repetitive nature of rejection wears you down yeah. and to constantly turn on a TV and be like, Hey, more rejection. Let's ban books about gay people. Hey, more rejection. Don't let those people near kids more reject. Like it's just so much rejection. And, yeah. and I think that really wears down on people. So the more aware we can become of that, the more we could create a society that says, you're okay you're you're welcome we love you yeah and that that would be i mean i'm lucky that i've surrounded my life with people like you and people like meg and and and, you know our friends you know in in the trauma-informed world that we've created this great circle of people and then i of course have a circle of people for our band that i follow and um you know when you have those circles of people to minimize rejection that's awesome and I think that's why queer people stick together often is because mm-hmm, at least we won't reject each other. Of course, that's not totally true either, um, you know, but at least you have the space, but that's that's I think what parents on the journey need to know. Yeah. Your, your kid needs to know that no matter what they do, there's no more, gonna, there's not gonna be rejection.
1: Love that.
2: And and that's very different from my own family who, you know, my parents. my parents did not kick me out of the house for being gay. Uh, my parents kicked me out because I challenged them about being abusive
1: Mm. and,
2: and hitting us. And, and, and so that didn't work out so well. (laughs) So I ended up homeless. Um, But uh, you know, I know a lot of gay kids, you know, come out and end up homeless. Yeah. And so it's the the levels of rejection that people feel from society. No wonder, you know, there's a 50% suicide attempt rate for, for young queer people. Yeah. And, of course there is like, no one can deal with that kind of rejection in that, you know, we know rejection shows up on a brain scan in the same place as physical pain.
1: Mm.
2: And and so like, that's one of those things that hurts us as humans yeah. regardless why, but yeah. for I think queer people, it's that's a, that rejection is everywhere you turn.
0: Yeah. I have a principal I work with and she often says love and belonging is love and belonging are the only values that live in our school. Oh, that's beautiful. And, right. Every child that comes to our school will feel love and belonging. And so, you know, she's recently had this conflict with some parents who are like, ban these books. Don't talk about this. Don't talk all the things that we're seeing. Yeah. And she very clearly stated, this is a space for love and belonging. And we need to have books that support love and belonging. We need to have, and I was like, it's just so simple. It really is so simple, right? Yeah. It doesn't actually have to be about all the various categories or all the various pieces of our identity. It could be love and belonging for all races, love and belonging for all sexual identity people, right? Like all those pieces. Love and belonging for kids who are abused. Love and yeah. love and belonging for homeless and you know, unhoused humans, like, the, and I just love that the through line for that for her was love and belonging is all that va- the values we need here.
1: What yeah. does that land
0: for you when you hear that?
2: I love that idea. Yeah. I, and I need to see it in action. Because <laughs> I hear that stuff. But I mean, I mean you think about that for, for people like me, like I've heard that Yeah, kind of stuff, like we love everyone here. And then I see your practices and then I see you vote for politicians that would like throw me in a camp. And so like until those words become action, I get really skeptical and cynical, which I I honestly wish I wasn't so cynical about that, but but I am. I don't
0: think it's skeptical or cynical. I think you've taken a lot of data in the world, you've collected it, and the data says you're not welcome in a lot of spaces. And then when people say, wait a minute, but you are here, I think you're sort of like, "Eh, and see what you say about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, but I love the concept. And if and yeah. if, and if this principle can really make that work for every kid, aw- well, awesome.
0: A win just in in this situation is that she has not had to hire an actual teacher for several years because they aren't leaving because they love this space so much.
2: That's, that's when you know you're doing it right. And in education today, yeah. where the, the turnover rates just like skyrocketed uh, I mean, many of the schools I'm consulting with are telling me that they have, you know, they're like, how do we train the new teachers on everything you've taught us these past three years? Mm-hmm. You had a 15% turnover. It's like we haven't gotten anywhere because you keep losing everyone.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and 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 that's really not the district's fault. It's there's only so much they have the ability to do. Well, and,
1: and
0: I think you're really speaking to the importance of teachers feeling safe and feeling love and belonging in their work environment. You and I are both in this unique situation where we go into schools. We do a lot of consulting and we do a lot of coaching. We're in different environments. What are the things you're seeing? What do teachers need to feel loved, belong, supported, safe?
2: I think right now, and it might, might not be what teachers think they need, but, but what I definitely see as a need is, is, there needs to be, for every SRO that we hire, we should be hiring three social workers. Like the state of mental health for children has become so toxic and traumatizing yeah. and normalized. Yeah. Like we've literally normalized trauma for children to a degree we think they need things that actually traumatize them. Mm-hmm. And so teachers are then left with children who can't handle these big feelings,
1: yeah.
2: who can't manage the stress and, of the trauma. And then in order to fix it, we add more trauma, like punishments and rewards and incentives and, and positive behavior systems and, and other nonsense that is just harmful. And so rather than actually taking these hurting kids and giving them support systems, we're Mm -hmm. actually normalizing the trauma to the point where the way you fix trauma is more trauma. (laughs)
1: That's uh, bizarre, isn't it?
2: But the people paying the price for this are teachers and educators who are then left to be parents, Mm -hmm. to be support systems, Mm -hmm. to make connections with kids who don't want to connect. Yeah, that's asking a whole lot of a group of people who didn't get trained in that.
1: No,
0: no, and it's it just stresses the system so much that it we're seeing teachers say, "Ah, I don't want to do that. I'm I don't want to be." And then we give
2: them a self care workshop. Yeah, like like let's really like put salt on the wound and say, "Oh, you just need a self care workshop. Here's some bath bombs and a and a you know facial. You'll be fine. You know." no, that's, that's not going to be fine. No. You know,
0: you, will you talk a little bit about the work you do in schools? What are some of the things, what, what, why in the world would a school bring Joe Brummer in?
2: Oh God, that's, yeah, that's a fantastic question. (laughs) (laughs) Cause they're nuts. Um, I think the work I do in schools is, is really around, you know, I, I prefer, to work with schools who are doing whole school transformations. Mm. Paradise. So I don't want to come do the one and so I don't want to come just do a, a checkbox thing where like, oh, we did trauma training. Great. Uh, I, I really want to see this through. And so I want to go into a school and I want to be able to like work with staff but first things first, we need a team. Like we need somebody that I, I'm an outsider to your community and your school. Schools are little communities. I'm not part of that community. I'm an outsider. And so I don't believe that I can come in and make a whole bunch of change. Okay. And, and I don't think that's my place to do that. Like I can't go around disrupting everything, although Matthew Portel might tell us we should, um, you know, unapologetic disruptor, but, but I, I, that's not my place. Right. And so I want to go into school. I want to form a team I want to train that team as indepthly as I can and get them going on their journey cuz you and I both know this is a journey. Like there's no one and done, there's no tra- there's no I'm trained. No you you're just you're never trained. There's just not a thing. And so I want to work with the schools that want to form the teams that want to create a vision for their school. Like what will this look like when we're trauma informed? What would this look like when we're purely restorative? Like there is no punishment to be found in our schools. Because you know me well enough, though, so I have no use for punishment. I, I just think it is the bane of our society. And has caused us more problems than it has ever solved. Um, mass incarceration, detention, suspension, none of this has solved anything. And then if you bring in corporal punishment, my God, like that shouldn't even be a conversation in 2023. It's like flatter theory. Yeah. Like let's debate punishment. Let's not debate punishment, because that's like debating whether or not the earth is round or flat. Yep. Like does does hitting children do you know a problem? This is a flat earth conversation we should stop having. Yeah. Um yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I, that's where I'll, 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 I'll pop Stacy Patton in and say everyone should read Stacy Patton's book, *Spare the Kids*, which is primarily written about, you know, corporal punishment and black children. But, but I think the book is universal for everyone, and and has a lot to teach white families about, uh, you know, what what hitting children does to their nervous system, um, and how we just keep supporting that, and how the problems that it causes are are then this revolving cycle. But I I think, you know, the messaging at this point in schools is that I want to go in, I want to train a team, I want to then start implementing slowly, all these processes that are going to take us a good three years to really put in place. So, you know, borrowing a line from my friend, Justin Carbonella, uh, it's evolution, not revolution. Mm -hmm. And I don't want it to be a revolution. I don't, because then I think it backfires. Yeah. or it gets kicked to the side after a couple of years. But when we, we really intentionally make change within school systems, that we change our language. We change the focus of school to be about connection first and learning second. Mm-hmm. That way the kids that came to school to get love, get love. Yeah. And they also happen to get an education. Like I think education needs to be secondary in education. Love needs to be first, Right. And, and and I know our team would love that, right? James Moffat's going, you know, love, I love you. And there's nothing you can do about it is, is James is, 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 is lying that I love. And, and so can we make the focus of school about a, a space to just grow and be a human? Mm. And, and, and so that's kind of what I want to see in schools and what I want to help them do. But the only way we can do that is to have adults recognize the significance of trauma. Yeah. And responding to that trauma with punishment is just effing cruel. Like, I don't even know a stronger way to say that. It is fucking cruel. To take a child that's already struggling at home, that's showing up as a behavior problem in class, and our response is to add suffering to their life. That's where, like, the passion comes from for me. I'm like, that is so Wrong, just wrong on so many levels that we have these struggling children and our response to them is to make them suffer, which is what punishment is. I've done this exercise in my workshops for, for years now where I get people to define punishment, consequences, accountability, and discipline. Ooh, tell me it, what those words mean yeah. and now tell me how they're different. What is the difference between a consequence and a punishment? What is the difference between discipline and punishment? And across the board, We always come to the same conclusion. Punishment is inflicted on you by somebody who has power. And the goal is to make you suffer. I have yet to have a group not come to those three conclusions. So let me get this straight. A person abusing their power to get someone to change by using suffering when other options were available Sounds pretty much like violence to me. How do we get people out of that framework? And and I think the real answer is to make our restorative practices trauma-informed, to understand how brains work, and to make sure that when we circle up, that we're not doing that through a lens of behaviorism. Because if you still think that kid made poor choices with the little cortex they have, (laughs) You're off. You're off. You're wrong. And that there's nothing restorative about this circle anymore. Like it lost its restorative quality when you didn't recognize the, what, what got us here. Yeah. And what got us here is, is a kid who's developing cortex, couldn't handle big emotions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's been interesting
0: to know you and talk to you and watch you and observe your your, your classes and see people interact with you. And one of the things I just love about you, Joe, is your truth bombs and not very many people want to hear what you have to say, right? Like it's, those are hard truths and you just stand in it and you stand in the truth. And one of the things that comes up and I know there are going to be people listening to this who are going to have this question. And I think it's such an important question. I want to yes. ask I'm dying to ask you on record for a while. Uh you and I have been parts of these conversations where people are like, restorative practices don't work. We have them in our school. Restorative justice doesn't work. We've been doing circles and they don't work. And I I know, I know they work. And I know you have an answer to that. And I want to know what your response is to that. When people say restorative justice, restorative practice doesn't work. What, do you, what does Joe Brummer, restorative practice expert, say to them?
2: So there's the professional answer. And then oh, there's my cynical answer.
1: Okay, we <laughs> want
2: to, give us both. We want to hear both. So my professional answer is like, well, let's look at your implementation process and your training and, and blah, blah. And, 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 and then my more cynical answer is like most of the schools where they say this isn't working either just started the process and have very little restorative going on. Like there's very little in their school that's really restorative, or they're only using circle to address problems, but they're not building a community and relationship. And so this is relational work, right? You, if you just think you can circle a kid up with your power and make them you know, am- make amends, then, then you didn't get it. But most of these schools where people say this isn't working or the kids are running the school, or uh, you and I both heard all of that stuff, um, you find that they're doing very little of the practices. Yeah. Oh, this isn't working. Well, that's because you're not doing it. Yeah. It, yeah. This is you know, not
1: what, and I
0: think you're speaking to something that's really important, both in trauma-informed practice, restorative practice, right? Both, both of those human-informed practices, really, is that it takes relationship. Yeah. The reason behaviorism, the reason punishment, the reasons consequences spanking the list is long the reason those are attractive is because it's one and done and it's over and we're out the door right like I can deliver this punishment and then I've done my job and my hand it's rolled. easy yeah and the reason this other stuff is harder and more effective and works is because it's based in relationships.
2: Yeah. you want to know what the difference is?
1: Mm.
2: I'll tell you the difference. Punitive things don't work solely because they're a transaction
1: mm-hmm. that
2: you don't have to show up for.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You just you just do it. Oh, you got into a fight, got suspension, see in 10 days. Yeah. But, but restorative practices require the adults to show up as their human self. Yeah. And they don't get to like back out of that it doesn't work if you don't show up no. and so i think one of the things that we we don't talk about in restorative we don't talk about it in trauma and form you know we say this is relational work but it means that you as a human have to show up to do it yeah and so- sometimes we show up and we realize we don't have the capacity to show up the way we need to mm-hmm. And if I haven't done my own work on my own stuff, I can't show up because I'm not going to, I can't do anything. So that other stuff like punishment and suspension, that stuff's easy because I don't have to address my own shit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You'll appreciate this story. So I, you know, that I do this course called how does your trauma impact your classroom?
2: Oh, I love that. I took the course. That was and, great.
0: And it's, and it's been, a, it's been eye opening for me, right? I'm a therapist. I'm a therapist by trade. We talk about our shit all the time. We go down our road. We talk about our feelings, talk about our past. Like, this is just my life. It's normal. And as I got into doing a lot of this work with the educators, much like you, I was like, oh, these people have to be taught about their own journey. They have to be taught how to be vulnerable. They have to be taught about looking. And I had this woman and I do this exercise about triggers and why is a kid triggering you? And these are the five questions you should ask yourself. And she was like, I never in a million years... Thought that I would have responsibility in why this kid is triggering me. And I'm sure you see that, right? Like what a powerful journey this is on when we show up as humans, when we do relational work, when we figure out how to connect and feel safe and build relationship. It really does start to shift the whole dynamic, doesn't it?
2: I think schools start to become trauma-informed and restorative when the educators in the building start owning their own stuff.
1: Mm.
2: And it sounds like the name of a a book, right? When the adults change. Mm. (laughs) I didn't write that book. But, uh, you know, uh, I I think when we get the adults to really focus on their own stuff, you open up the doorway for them to hold space for kids. Mm -hmm. Some of whom are, you know, you and I both know, I'm sure you've seen the CDC report on adolescent mental health right now. And, and we know that the adolescent, we we know that children's mental health over the course of the last 15 years has just tanked. And that's meant that educators and adults and anyone who works with children, whether it's youth services or, um, you know, diversion programs, because I'm doing a lot with, you know, juvenile justice right now. Yeah. You know when we show up in any kind of youth serving capacity, whether it's education or juvenile justice, we realize we have to show up.
1: yeah
2: we have to show up and and if we don't they're they're not talking to us because they know we're not real. They can tell that like kids have a bullshit meter that's still good that, oh, that they so know good. when you're not being authentic and 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 I, I think that 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 prevents us from having some of the really meaningful conversations with kids that would actually let them know we love them.
0: Yeah. Love that. Joe, you have so much value to add to the world and you and I could talk for hours at a time because that's just what we do. Let me know like how do people get a hold of you? If they need a Joe Brummer in their life, how does how does that happen?
2: Go to joebrummer.com. That's probably the easiest place to find me. Uh, my little home on the web. Uh, But you can also find me on Twitter at Joe Brummer. Uh, You can find me on Facebook. I I pretty much anybody that sends me a friend's request that looks pretty reasonable. uh, I know if I see you work in education, I'm probably going to be friends with you. you, So you can send me friends requests on Facebook. You can find me at uh, the Restorative Justice and Education Facebook group. Mm -hmm. You can find me uh, through the Trauma-Informed Educators Network with Matthew Portell. I I am a a proud member of that group. You could also find me through the Attachment and Trauma Network, through their their PD collaborative. And so I'm also a member of the PD collaborative, and I, I happily do workshops and things through ATN and do things through their conference. You can always stalk me. And come to the ATN conference in, <laughs> in Dallas. We'll be in Dallas in February. You, If you so choose to spend the money, you can come stalk me at, at ATN. I'm, I'm sure I'll be there doing something. I volunteer every year uh, to to work with that conference. I, I 100% support that conference. Um, and, and also the Trauma informed Educators Network Conference, which happens, I think, in two weeks. Yeah. Uh, I'll be presenting on, on, on at that conference as well. And so there's lots of ways to find me, but I, one thing I want people to know all the time is I'm super approachable. Like don't
1: yes. like, I, yes. like
2: send me an email. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm super happy to chat. I'm super like, I, I, I someday will, if it might not be coming already, like it's, I, it finds overwhelming sometimes how many people are trying to like talk to me. Um, but I, I want to make space for people and I don't want people to feel like, uh, you know, I'm just a regular guy. So like, please reach out and, 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 I'm a trauma survivor that wants other trauma survivors to 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 survive, and so I, I want people to be able to reach out, and I want people to to so yeah. And even my email is easy; it's my name, Joe at Joebummer.com. Love that. <laughs> so <laughs> like, you
0: have reach out. Look, you have a book that's awesome. I refer to lots of people. I'll make sure we put the link to that when this goes out. You have another book coming out and in, in the near future at some we point. We
2: do. I uh, actually just found out who's going to write the forward today.
0: Oh, I can't wait to hear all about it. I'm going to just hang on. And so what I want to say, I want to leave you with this. Yes, I stalked you. Yes, you're a hate crime survivor. I provided you a corrective experience where someone was coming to you and loving you and like, Joe, I need you in my life. And I'm so thankful that you were open to that and you were open to meeting and connecting. And I have deep respect for your story your values you're seeing a lot of things that people really need to hear and you and I both know that when you're the delivery of the truth bomb it's all in how it lands and I think at the at, at your heart you're creating space for for those joes to feel safe in education with adults who are responsible for them I just appreciate you brother thank you so much
2: thank you I right back got you like I'm sure people will uh People who've been following your work know that you you have an A score you 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 have a history, but you're also doing exactly the same thing we're part of this group of people that took the crap we've been through and decided we would not allow other people to go through that yeah I love that and so yeah that's there's something to be um this this group of people that includes you and and people like meg Baldwin and and uh you know, Matthew Portell, James Moffat, Ginger Healy, like this huge group of people that, you know, Dustin Springer, Lori Desitel, Bruce Perry, like all these people that are literally out there trying to make other people's lives better. Yeah. When ours wasn't exactly kosher. Mm. Like that that's the kind of like I have such admiration for that team of people. And, and I feel a hundred times um honored. To be even part of that little group.
1: Mm, you know, same.
2: Whatever. Like, see my name sometimes placed up with other people's names who I like, like, literally, like, I find my heroes. And I'm like, really? I'm being thrown in the same conversation as as X. And I'm like, yeah, I, mm, that's that's mind boggling to me. Uh, and so, but I, I love this team and I love that you're a part of it. And so, thank you.
0: well, I'm honored to be on it and I love that you're in it too. And the words you say today, the, the out proud gay man, giving us some insight, like everybody cooks, like we don't have to actually answer those questions. Those are important for us to hear. So I appreciate you. Love you, brother.
2: Yeah. Right back at you.
0: Take care. Thanks for being here today. Bye.
2: Thank you.